0: Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb.
0: And I'm Julie Douglas.
1: Julie, here's a quick question. Uh, in coming in to do these podcasts, do you have any kind of a ritual, any kind of a, like a, do you have any lucky items you bring with you? Uh, how do you prepare in terms of, uh, Superstition. Okay, here's to do a some, science podcast. Here's
0: something that you never wanted to know about. Okay. I used to wear lucky underwear. Okay. <laughs> but then I realized how ridiculous that was. And I quit the practice. Huh. Yeah. Not of one wearing underwear, but you know a specific <laughs> pair. But yeah, I mean it's very easy to attach meaning to something, right? And I found myself and I think I'm pretty pragmatic, right? In my thinking and I found myself I uh, used to think that. Yeah, now you're like no, oh, underwear out, underwear out of mind. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can't help but sometimes make those associations.
1: I I guess. I mean, I can't I mean, I I on the clothing front, I I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that because I tend to think of clothing and like, well, this pair of pants is more comfortable than the others. Uh so in that respect like those will be my lucky pants and that when I feel when I wear them my body feels better and So uh, lucky
0: for you is comfortable.
1: Yeah yeah. But but there are other rituals that I do have. I mean not not so much rituals but I guess I'm I'm kind of um uh, there's something in me that's kind of maybe an amulet junkie.
0: Like oh. like I would
1: I I feel like I could adapt really easily to say like uh you know like Thai amulet culture um in in fact I carry um a Ganesh a Ganesha in my pocket, uh, like a little figurine,
0: uh, Ganesh, the, the, uh, yeah, the, overcomer it, of obstacles, yeah, right? Yeah,
1: yeah, the, 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 Hindu God that people may uh, recognize as having kind of a, uh, you know, well, very much an elephant look, um, uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, Standing on its vehicle is like a rat. It's not that I like rub the figurine before each podcast mm-hmm. or uh, there's something about just I have to put it in my pocket when I leave in the morning. And if I don't watch myself, I'll accumulate other amulets along the way. It'll be like something that just doesn't make a particularly large amount of sense. Mm-hmm. Like uh, when we were like cleaning out my um, uh some of my father's stuff uh, after he died, I there was this roll of silver dollars. And these weren't like dear to him or anything. I don't think I'd ever seen these silver dollars, but I ended up like slipping one in my pocket and carried it with me a lot for several months.
0: And that makes sense to me, though, because that's, that's something that, you, you know, it's um, maybe you're associating it with your father and you wanted to keep it close to you or, you know, as yeah. a symbol of your but it's, father. But
1: they were to, if I were going to, like, consciously set out to, like, all right, I will pick out an amulet that reminds me of my father or is, you know, I mean, it gets into the whole thing, uh, the whole power of sympathy uh, and uh, and the way our minds work, and we ended up attaching meaning to this to an object that has come into contact with somebody. Mm-hmm. So if I were to, like, consciously say, what's an object that that was dear to my father that I could carry as an amulet, that would not be it. Like I don't know why that ended up in my pocket for so long. Um or sometimes it'll be like a particularly good day or a good outing or a, you know, or a good date that I've gone on with my wife. And I'll like pick up a rock mm-hmm. and it'll go in my pocket. And not even a pretty rock. Not like any kind of like a fine quartz kind of thing or something that would wind up on a geologist's shelf. But I'll end up like sticking in my pocket and it'll become kind of an amulet of that day. And so I I have to watch that. And try and keep it to just wow, one. Well, you've amulet.
0: got some hoarding tendencies. Is, well, that's what. Well, I'm they're hearing.
1: not. I don't think. No, it's hoarding, if they're um, if they're kind of like magical amulets, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. And and if, if or, you guys... or
1: keepsakes, if you will, like tiny keepsakes that remain on your person,
0: right? That have have some sort of power to you in some sense. Yeah. As much as we hate to admit it, these things do have a power over us. And if you guys out there haven't guessed it already, we're talking about the, oh, yeah. the science of lucky pants. That's
1: where we're coming back around to.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, um, you know, we can't help but wear those lucky pants or pick up that rock. Something that means a lot to us that makes us feel like, you know, we've got some sort of control over the chaos of our lives. Yeah,
1: like what are some more that you've seen? Like, Because I, like I have a friend who does this thing where if she is speeding through a red light, mm-hmm. well, not really a red light, but say a... um Uh, an an orange light, yellow light, turning light.
0: Oh, you're giving her a break there. Yeah, Yeah.
1: Um, She'll do this thing where she hits the roof of the car, like it's some sort of like a luck thing to not get uh, caught by um, a traffic
0: cop. There's the rub, right? The luck, this idea that we are actually – Getting some sort of magical luck from the ritual, really. Yeah,
1: we're doing something to influence the outcome.
0: Yeah. Right. I was thinking about the speed skater Chad Hedrick. He collects fortunes from fortune cookies because before the 2006 games in Turin, he got a fortune cookie that said, your golden opportunity is coming. And he went on to win gold, silver, and bronze medals. Whoa. And now he hangs out with like 20, 25 fortune cookie uh, fortunes in his pocket at any time. He's become a fortune cookie junkie.
1: Wow. How does he stay in shape eating all that, all that cookie? You know,
0: oh, I'm sure, you know, he just probably calls up his local takeout and, (laughs) you know, just chops through them and doesn't necessarily eat them. I wonder if he knows.
1: I wonder if he gets irritated with the, with the fortune cookies that don't really have fortunes per se, but they're just kind of like, here's a little bit of good advice, uh, in mangled English.
0: Yeah. I get that on my tea sometimes. My, my tea package, uh, you know, the little, uh, tag on it yeah it's like, and, that's... it depends on i can always tell what sort of mood i'm in because either i'm like oh that's beautiful or i'm like oh man just take it somewhere else yeah
1: or it's like that's not really cosmic insight that's how am i gonna that's just good advice that's just like saying something like i don't know um uh, see that's how devoid of uh a feel goodery i am this morning i can't think of a of any kind of uh crappy little uh fortune cookie thing but but at any rate um yeah, people do. Uh, it's in- early this morning. It, it is kind of early. We're having to record rather early, but yeah. So, so things of this nature: people collecting items, people uh, performing rituals, people um, sticking to some sort of uh, lucky garment, and I do mean sticking to it <laughs>
0: <laughs> literally, because some we know with with uh, sports people that sometimes they don't change their lucky socks, right? Right. Like baseball, uh, baseball sports people. How illiterate am I in, in the field of uh, sports that I, c- I can't th- use the correct terminology? But baseball people who won't change their socks and oh. become terribly smelly.
1: I, re- I remember reading about there, w- there was this uh, pro wrestler who wrestled by the name of Vader, who um, <laughs> it was based out of Atlanta. I don't know if he lives in the area or not. Yeah, I think he's pretty much retired now. But he was like this big, beefy kind of bull looking guy. And supposedly there are people that really hated wrestling him uh and you know this is pro wrestling this is all sort of scripted mm-hmm. uh violence going on uh with a certain amount of improv but he his his lucky for ritual shattering the illusion yeah sorry oh um but his uh his lucky thing was to not wash his wrestling outfit his uh oh. his uh his jumper yeah you know? yeah and so it was a pretty horrendous at times
0: but well, and that probably became a ritual that actually did start to have some sort of actual effect, right? Because
1: yeah, because you you don't want to get too close to the guy or or have the match go too long, right? Even oh, yeah. if he is kind of punching in the face.
0: The yeah, and you're under his arm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Okay. So there's a term for this, and it's called apophenia, and it's seeing patterns in meaningless data. And we've talked about this before. Our brains despise randomness. We try to right. organize. Whenever we can, whenever we see some sort of data in front of us, we try to see patterns. Uh, we might have a grilled cheese sandwich, and we might think that it looks like the Madonna on it, as I'm sure a lot of people know this. What, was that on uh, eBay? The grilled cheese sandwich? Uh, I think it
1: was. I think it was at some point.
0: Yeah. It was, I mean, it was a highly sought after item because people thought, oh, that looks like the Madonna burned into the grilled cheese sandwich.
1: Yeah. Our minds cannot help but make order out of chaos. I mean, it's how we survive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you, you need to be able to navigate this, this world that we live in and, and put one and two together, uh, when in, in ways that can often save a life that can allow us to get to work at all. Uh, yeah, you know, um, it ends up ends up being little things like you you know that uh that when you when you feel that kind of weird wind coming down the train tracks mm-hmm. at a at a subway or train station, you're like, oh well, the train's about to get here, but and that's a very logical one plus two equals three but then in other cases uh uh this ends up uh becoming what is called a type one error, yeah where we end up um um looking for signs that, and putting, putting signs together that don't really add up, mm-hmm. but, but we just think they do.
0: So yeah, actually there's a Scientific American article called Patternicity Finding Meaningful Patterns in Meaningless Noise, and Michael Shermer wrote, our brains are evolved pattern recognition machines that connect the dots and create meaning out of the patterns that we think we see in nature. Sometimes A really is connected to B, sometimes it's not. When it is, we have learned something valuable about the environment from which we can make predictions that aid in survival survival and reproduction. Unfortunately, we, we did not evolve a baloney detection network in the brain to distinguish between <laughs> true and false patterns. And I love that. I thought, yeah, we really do need a baloney detection network at this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, it basically comes down to the, the fact that that randomness just doesn't really – Fit well with us. We don't. Mm-hmm. We don't like the idea of randomness. And ultimately, as many critics have pointed out, like even a really chaotic system, there's there's order going on in it, uh, and and you can find order in that system, but it's not always going to be in a in a predictive way.
0: And this is called adventitious reinforcing. Again, it's that accidental association between an outcome and whatever you're doing at the time. Um, so again, that you see the, you know people not changing their dirty socks because Mm -hmm. the big game is coming, and that's what they did last time. And surely if they don't wear those same socks, they will lose, right? Yeah,
1: I wore dirty socks, and my team won. Therefore, my dirty socks altered physical reality, broke every law of physics, and somehow made that team win. Therefore, Mm -hmm. I need to make sure that I wear the same dirty socks next week but it but now in these cases well why not apply even more scrutiny to it and realize my socks need to be the same level of dirty they are now if they are more dirty then maybe it'll tip the balance and then it ends up this like complicated uh, chemistry well that's when it becomes
0: a problem because that's when you can really kind of screw yourself right because you you know what is first a talisman to kind of help you through psychologically then it
1: becomes an obsession
0: then it becomes obsession and then you could really kind of throw your your game so to speak um I thought it was really interesting that behaviorist B.F. Skinner took this, this up oh, with pigeons. pigeons. Yeah. yeah. And he put a, a few half starved pigeons in a box and put food pellets down a chute at random intervals. And the pigeons began to think, or at least he thought this, uh, cause who knows what pigeons think. Uh, but he assumed that whatever they did when the food arrived somehow it cause the food to arrive so So this is
1: like they're doing like little circles and stuff right
0: yeah yeah he said that one bird was conditioned to turn counterclockwise about the cage making two or three turns between reinforcements and another repeatedly thrust its head into one of the upper corners of the cage a third developed a tossing response so it's kind of funny like i don't like to think of, of myself as a pigeon but you know Looking at my past behavior and attaching meaning to things that don't necessarily have a meaning. It is sort of like we're all pigeons, you know, in a cage making these, uh, weird ritualistic turns to try to affect our environments. Um, so it's really interesting. This is from a BBC article, Go Figure Why We Think Rituals Can Influence Outcome. They say the experiment might be said to demonstrate a sort of superstition. The bird behaves as, as if there was a causal relation between its behavior and the pres- presentation of food. Although such a relation is lacking, huh?
1: Well, you know, it, it reminds uh, me a lot of uh, our previous research into placebos too. Yeah, and uh, certainly some of the literature uh, makes this a correlation as well, because like it could be something as simple as uh, I need to be at my mental best for this meeting that I have every week, right? So I must have a uh, you know some sort of an energy drink to mm-hmm. boost me up, and then but to to what extent is that energy drink actually? Uh, increasing your performance and to what extent is it just a ritual a superstitious ritual that has to take place for right. you to feel confident enough to go into the uh in, into the meeting
0: to get into the mindset yeah.
1: and um, and okay you can make an argument that yeah you're getting a caffeine boost but now replace the energy drink with a um like a rosary or uh you know or 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 a little amulet or or some sort of uh you know magical ceremony you perform um on the floor in front of the uh, meeting room with, mm-hmm. with chalk and candles or something.
0: Yeah, and then I'm just thinking about and then you're on your way to OCD and you start yeah. tapping three times. You know, yeah, which you know again, I'm that's. It's just interesting to see how you can take this to the nth degree mm-hmm. and your behavior really begins to splinter a little bit.
1: Speaking of knocking and splinters, there's the whole knock on wood thing, right? That's yeah. like a classic example. I don't think of myself as being particularly superstitious. You know, I'll, I'll be talking about something and I'll accidentally, you know, mention some sort of horrible thing that has not happened yet. And it'll be like knock on wood. And then I have to find wood to knock on. Like it just it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Likewise, um, the whole salt shaker thing, spill some salt and you have to uh, throw some over your shoulder. Right. I'll find myself doing that just because uh, I'll have spilled a little salt, and I'll be like, well, it doesn't hurt, right? So I'll take, like, one grain, and then I'll position myself so that if I throw it over my shoulder, Mm -hmm. it goes into the sink. So that way I'm also not making a mess.
0: I think the roots of that are in um, shamanism, too, right? Oh, yeah? I I think that it's like to dispel evil spirits. Huh. Somehow I have that lodged and want to... One of the nooks there, but I mean, I'm sure that the, oh, many different cultures have many different interpretations for the whole salt trick. Right. But nonetheless, it's it's a ritual, right?
1: Right. But but then again, I, I would not freak out if I did. Oh, another one is the uh, of course the the stepping on a crack and breaking your mother's back, which mm-hmm. I don't think there's ever been a proven cause and effect with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like nobody actually believes that. Uh, I mean, with anyone with a with a healthy mind does not believe that their are they're stepping on a crack will mm-hmm. somehow. Uh, harm the vertebrae of their mother, but people do get bent out of shape about it uh, if they, uh, in some cases. So, I mean, it just if you end up letting it uh, um, get ahead of you.
0: Yeah. And you see this too um, in extreme cases where if someone has lost a person, they start mm-hmm. to see signs everywhere of, you know, they might have, I think I read something about it, it was uh, one guy who lost his son, uh, his son committed suicide, and he began to see signs in everything, a uh, uh, open clothespin, and, uh, you know, all these different, um, like 45 degree angle Mm -hmm. um, shapes. And he began to think that that was pointing to the time that his son had committed suicide. And again, this is, you know, this is us trying to have some sort of mastery over what we can't control. Mm -hmm. Probably helped him a lot to think, well, okay, there's, there are signs that are pointing just to at least tell me some aspect of this, you know, the time that my son passed away or to get a better rooted feeling in what had happened.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, So, it's interesting to see it in that and way. You can
1: take that situation, though, trying to master something you can't control. And if you uh, you transpose it back on some like prehistoric setting, mm-hmm. you know, some guy trucking through the woods uh, and there is a predator out there that could conceivably eat him or a, a human enemy. And your amount of control over what is going to happen depends on your ability to pick up signs in the world around you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the sound of footsteps. Uh, in the dark, the, uh, the 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 silhouette of something against the moonlight, right. things of that nature.
0: Right. And, and so we're sort of hardwired to err on that side, right? right. Which is better for us because that's why we have gotten to the point we have, right, as a yeah, species. Yeah,
1: because then it's a false alarm and that's when we laugh, right? Right. According yeah, we to about some this. of the theories about laughter, yeah, yeah, that yeah. laughter is a response to say, oh, I'm not really in physical danger.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a release. Yeah, it's and, like, a, oh. and
1: a signal to, to other humans that, oh, we're not really going to die. It's all right. That that's, wasn't really a saber-toothed tiger. But better to be sure, err on the side of caution, like you say.
0: That's right. That's I mean, behind every good joke is, a, is a, a false saber-toothed tiger in a way, right? Right. Because it's a benign threat.
1: Trust no one. You heard it here. Yeah.
0: That's right. Uh, when we come back, we are going to talk about Lady Luck and uh, if she actually exists.
1: This podcast is brought to you by Intel, the sponsors of Tomorrow, and the Discovery Channel. At Intel, we believe curiosity is the spark which drives innovation. Join us at Curiosity.com and explore the answers to life's questions. All right, and we're back. So, Lady Luck, real or not?
0: L- okay, well... Hmm.
1: Is Luck a lady? Uh,
0: luck is not a lady tonight. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a nice thought, right? Lexa lady, she's shining down on you. She yeah. has a a, a bugle beaded dress on. Thank um, you for
1: resisting the urge to to break into song, by the way.
0: I mean, this podcast <laughs> isn't over yet. Okay. Okay. Uh, there is an article called Apophenia Def- Definitions and Analysis by Sandra L. Hubsher, and it's really interesting. She talks about the gambler's fallacy and holds that in a sequence of random events, past outcomes influence future outcomes off offsided example is a game of roulette where black has spun seven times in a row. The players around the table begin to feel, all the players, right? Mm-hmm. They all begin to feel that their luck is running out and that the red is due soon or um that they're having a streak and black will continue to appear when in actuality the probability of the next spin being red or black is the same as ever. Huh. And this I mean you see this all the time in gambling, right? There's this idea that you you know you've got good luck tonight. Um, But that's kind of what gets us in trouble. And according to psychology today, luck really actually wouldn't exist without the following conditions. Okay. Okay.
1: You rabbit have, foot.
0: Rabbit um, foot. Uh, troll. <laughs>
1: troll doll. Okay. Troll yeah. doll.
0: Yeah. Um, you have to take a chance in order to have a chance. Okay. Which is kind of a duh thing, yeah, right? Yeah.
1: It's like if you don't play the lottery, you cannot win the lottery.
0: Exactly. Um, but studies show that when outcomes are uncertain, pessimistic people tend to avoid these situations and are averse to, to risk, right? Okay. Whereas optimistic people don't. So optimism is actually necessary to take a chance. So not okay. only do you have to take a chance, but you kind of have to be like, yeah, hey, I'm taking a chance, right?
1: Okay. So it goes back to that, uh, that optimism boost we were talking about. Yeah. Guy, well, guy walks into a casino. Guy feels confident enough to play roulette mm-hmm. because he has, uh, you know, a statue of, Buddha in his uh, pocket. Well, and even just
0: map it back to other times in your life where you felt lucky. Okay. Um, something happened, uh, the sequence of events. I always think about this. It always feels like something builds up to something happening and I always think, oh, yeah, there's this pattern here. But the fact of the matter is, is that I happened to be in the right place at the right time. But not only that, I was open to the experience yeah. and had put myself out there or whatever it was. So that's kind of how I think about it. You've got the gambler yes who's who yeah they they did it. They they gambled so therefore you know they got a 50% chance whether or not they're going to make good on it. But it that's about the same for anything that you try to do in your life, right?
1: More or less. I think well, yeah, I guess it depends on what you're do. trying to do. Yeah. Sometimes
0: there's like 10%, sometimes 75%.
1: But still, there's there is a chance. There's and, a chance,
0: yeah. yeah. Uh The second thing is unexpected actions come from the subconscious. Your unconscious brain may actually see what you need to see before your conscious brain knows. This is called preemptive perception, and it's thought to be subserved by part of the parietal lobe of the brain.
1: Yeah, this reminds me of, uh, of priming memory, uh, which is uh, one of the types of memory that we've talked about in the past uh, where you're not consciously aware of it Mm -hmm. but uh, your brain is forming this uh this pattern it's uh, associating one thing with the other yeah
0: Yeah, and it actually reminds me too of the free will podcast that we did when we talked about this the the eye of ourselves Uh the the conscious that we are the last person to actually learn what our decision is because all of these other things are taking place in our brain that could have been culminating there for an hour a year or even 10 years And so there's things going on under the surface that are really helping to inform you. So,
1: or like the false memory, where we pointed out that uh, some uh, experiments have have uh, suggested that our brain knows when, uh, even though we think a false memory is true, mm-hmm. deep down our brain knows that that false memory is false.
0: Yes. Yeah. 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 It's it's, it's there's somewhere there's a center there in our brains that can sniff out the difference. Yeah. So at
1: conscious level, we're not putting one and two together about mm-hmm. what's about to happen, but. Uh, below the surface, our brain already knows or thinks it knows what's going to happen. And this has
0: been observed in studies in MRI, which right. is really fascinating. Uh, so, the psychology today is basically saying when you next sense something that you should actually take it seriously before you discard it because okay. there is some sort of basis. Gut there. instinct kicking Gut. in. Yeah. Right, exactly. The third is to tap into your empathy.
1: Oh, yes. This is, of course, especially when you're dealing with other people, you're playing mm-hmm. a game. Poker. Uh, poker, or even something like, you know, Scrabble or Words with Friends or or anything where there is a human intellect on the other side.
0: You're in a hot water situation too, right? Yeah. Not yeah. that we're advocating hot water situations.
1: Yeah. Like don't play Scrabble in a hot tub. It, it's That's a recipe exactly for disaster. What I'm talking about. the pieces are going to get so soggy. <laughs>
0: or be a jewel thief and then get caught. Yeah. Okay.
1: But but yeah, there's a there's a it's a game of cat and mouse. Mm-hmm. And uh and so you're you're inevitably uh Thinking about trying to think, what is the other guy or gal uh, thinking about? Mm-hmm. Let, me, let me try and put myself in their shoes so I can outsmart them. I mean, this is based. This is a basic uh, principle of our cognitive um, architecture because so much of our um uh, of our of our brain activity is is devoted to trying to determine how say a prey animal is going to react, yeah. how an adversary is going to react, how uh, even how friends, enemies, loved ones uh etc how they're going to react and so so that we can tailor our behavior to reach the most desired outcome.
0: That's right and this is theory of mind. Right. You know, we talked about it in our Don't Eat the Panda podcast which is basically like you know the ability to anticipate someone else's actions also necessitates empathy right which in that case is why you sometimes feel bad about eating an animal right Mm -hmm. that's the really boiled down point there but when when you're trying to uh sway your luck you have to be able to like you say inhabit the other person's mind and your brain can actually mirror the intentions of people automatically it's able to do this Mm -hmm. right and we already know this through mirror neurons
1: unless you're a replicant of course
0: yeah, yeah, then it's going to be, I don't know, five, ten years out before they can really, you know, tinker with that to yeah. make it exact. <laughs> but people who are more empathetic may be better at doing this and doing so may accurately read what another person is going to do. And again, this could come in really handy with poker. Um, on the flip side, too, you can actually influence the outcome of a situation by not radiating something like nervousness, which would tip off the other person, that they need to uh, observe you closer and they need to search for a threat. So if you affect a sense of calm, you're essentially faking it until you make it, uh, which might feel like luck to you, you know, if the other person is buying into it when, in fact, it's just this complex symphony of functions in your brain that's being carried out. Huh? And you feel like you just got lucky.
1: Now, And when it comes to, uh, to thinking about um, our brain's ability to perceive connections and make connections between... Uh, um sometimes diverse ideas mm-hmm. uh, i can't help but think of creativity uh right. which so much creativity especially in a world where everything has been done before a lot of it boils down to can i create new patterns uh, you know such as oh i well the exorcist has been done uh, madman has been done but what if you combine the two <laughs> and you have an exorcist <laughs> whose whole job is to remove advertising demons Okay. From, uh, view, you know something so of that don nature so
0: don draper is the the exorcist
1: or the demon, or I don't is, know. is
0: he Reagan the child,
1: or both? I don't know. This this idea hasn't been okay. Oh, out.
0: We'll, we'll get back to that.
1: Yeah, we, and we don't want to give away the secrets. We haven't pitched it yet. Yeah, so, yeah you're right But right. um, but yeah. So so our creativity works on on establishing new patterns and new connections. Mm-hmm. So I can't help but but, uh, but make the comparison here between that and and luck.
0: Yeah, there's uh Peter Brueger is a neurobiologist, and he's actually talked about this before, and he says that um this this ability of creative people to link and associate um, and prefer remote over close associations to the heart of, it really gets to the heart of um, creative thinking, but also paranormal and delusional thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, not that you have to be delusional in order to be creative and make all these patterns, but certainly there is a parallel there, right? In both instances, that person is willing to really sort of run with the pattern recognition that they see right. and spin off even more patterns uh, which is you know one of the hallmarks of creativity as we've have researched before
1: right and not just fiction based creativity which is an easy model to turn to but creativity say in a business setting where one is seeing uh, patterns in a, in the marketplace mm-hmm. and in consumer uh, reactions so that kind of thing
0: Bruger also found a connection uh, with dopamine, actually, oh, yeah. and levels of dopamine in people. He found that people with high levels of dopamine are more likely to find significance and coincidence and pick out meaning and patterns where there are none. In one trial in which skeptics and paranormal believers were both given the drug L-DOPA, which increases dopamine.
1: L-DOPA.
0: L-DOPA. Uh, the skeptics began to perform much more like the believers Huh. in the studies, which I think is fascinating.
1: Wow. So – Huh. That's, that's really fascinating. Yeah. Because, and I mean, I instantly think of like pumping this into say, um uh, a church environment or a temple or, uh, mm-hmm. you know, environment to just to sort of give people a little extra boost to get, uh, superstitious about things. I, I, it also makes, I can't help but think of like someone going into see a priest and, uh, and being like, father, um, I'm having a crisis of faith. And then the, the, uh, priest saying, well, here, take, take three of these. This should boost your dopamine levels and then you'll be good, you know?
0: Wow. Can, I mean, can it get down to that level?
1: Maybe. I mean, I mean not that that's you could question, take a pill right? and it would, I think, you know, completely change the way you view the world. But what we're talking about here does underline some of those connections, though, between, um, between the, the, the chemical us well, and the spiritual say. us. Well, that's
0: going to say. At a chemical level, it does inform our perception, right? Yeah. So it's kind of fascinating. Uh, I did want to make another um, mention about creativity Again, this is from Sandra Hubscher's article. Uh, she was talking about creative innovation, and she was saying, you know, again, it's the ability to understand and express novel, orderly relationships. And that, in fact, Leonardo da Vinci advised his students to, quote, look at walls covered with many stains. With the idea of ma- imagining some scene, you will see in it similarity to landscapes adorned with mountains, rivers, rocks, trees, plains, broad valleys and hills of all kinds also battles and figures with lively gestures and strange faces and costumes and an infinity of things which you can reduce to separate and complex forms. Huh.
1: Well it, uh, this of course brings to mind constellations. Uh, the, the pattern of the stars yeah, is of course yeah. intensely complicated uh, as we discussed in the shark episode. Mm. Uh, you know NASA has has complicated uh, algorithmic programs designed to look at the night sky. And uh, and make sense of it all. Mm -hmm. But constellations, a very ancient uh, uh, form of looking at the stars and making sense of it by at times desperately uh, forming patterns Mm -hmm. amid those stars to create something like a Big Dipper or a guy with a bow and arrow or or, you know, or or some sort of an animal. Uh, And I think you can you can definitely make the case that as out there, some of those connections are those connections allowed uh, have allowed us to. Uh, more easily make sense of a very complicated system in the sky above.
0: Well, and once you name it, don't you feel some sort of level of comfort yeah. for it too? I mean, yeah. um, I'm sure that, again, it's that trying to master your environment and feel some sort of sense of control. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not all bad, right? I mean, patterns, again, that's that's, that's what's gotten us so far here. Um,
1: yeah, it's uh, there's we, we live in a chaotic system. But one where there are patterns. So it's just uh, to the extent that we can avoid overcompensating mm-hmm. and, and just finding um n- unreal patterns everywhere, um, you know, then, then I think we're okay.
0: I think of it as the continental drift uh, theory. Like if, oh, yeah. it, this is a good example of why patterns are important or pattern recognition. where people looked at
1: maps and they said, hey, well, wouldn't that piece fit here? I bet those two places were joined together.
0: Yeah, Alfred Wegener, um, who's actually the person who recognized the puzzle piece like fit of the continents Mm -hmm. and came up with this theory, uh, in part because of this pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. And of course that sat around for like 30 years or so before someone was able to corroborate it with, you know, other information. But again, I mean, this is, this is stuff that can lead to breakthroughs if harnessed right.
1: Or it can lead to crazy conspiracy theories that, uh, seriously damage one's uh, reputation
0: it's yeah yeah. it's a, it's a power yeah. you just have to learn to use it right
1: alright well let's see if any of our listeners got lucky and uh, I drew their listener mail
0: here let me turn it
1: oh here we go and let me grab this one alright this one is from Lisa Lisa says may I start off by saying that I absolutely love this podcast and all the others from How Stuff Works so, see, that one was kind of like, oh, and then she likes all of them. So. I mean, but they're all great. Yeah, they are all awesome. <laughs> um, I, like, it would have been different if she said, well, let me say that I absolutely love this podcast and all other podcasts. I and mean, then it feels a little less special. But, but no, no. This but, no
0: yeah, we, we take it. We Thank take you. the
1: compliment. Uh, I wouldn't be able to, to make my 45-minute drive to and from work uh, every day without it. I recently listened to your podcast on misophonia, and I was rather surprised this is an actual diagnosed problem. I have never been to the doctor, nor have I uh, ever seen the need to be checked out uh, because it has never really bothered me, uh, bothered my day-to-day life. But uh, every time I hear someone's fingernail scratching a car, I definitely react to it. Uh, I do not simply cringe like uh, you would if you heard a chalkboard being scratched. Instead, it makes me feel like I'm going to turn inside out. Hey, we did a podcast on that, too. Yeah, we did. Uh, Cry. Haven't done one on that. Uh, And or gag. uh, I think that's coming up. uh, All at the same time. My younger brother used to do this uh, just to mess with me, and I would suddenly become insanely enraged and start screaming for him to stop. Obviously, this isn't a normal sound you hear when you are around others, so it has never really interfered with my life. I have always thought it was just a strong reaction to a bad sound, but now I can't help but wonder. Obviously, I'm not going to try to diagnose myself. I'll leave that up to a doctor. Thank you guys for everything.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah, we was, yeah, we received
1: right. a lot of cool comments uh, regarding that episode.
0: We did, and it was really interesting to hear people's um, takes on the things that really bother them. And so many people had discovered that, yeah, they could put a name to this, whether or not you know they had, it was actually diagnosed by a doctor yet, or uh-huh. yeah.
1: And it, it opened up the, the 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 door for a lot of listeners to write in and just tell us about annoying things in their life. Like my uncle has the worst cough. Let me tell you. About,
0: I know, but it it's yeah. kind of awesome. It though, is too, awesome. I love it. Because things got like, so specific. Yeah. You know? Like
1: the one about the socks and the carpet. Yeah. And yeah. even though I'm like, well, at first I'm like, wow, I, I, that doesn't annoy me at all. But it, it definitely makes sense when you look at the um, at the overall issue and the overall uh, you know, condition. Right. Like, well, it makes sense. How subtle question. it is.
0: Yes. Yeah.
1: Um, we also heard from Don. Don writes in and says, I'm so glad you did a podcast on misophonia. My whole life I've been told I have sensitive innards because of my aversion to all sorts of sounds. I have always thought that my husband was just a loud person. Uh, while he does suffer from, with allergies, uh, which causes him to sometimes chew with his mouth open, uh, snort, and breathe loudly, my reaction is to want to run away or punch him in the face. I am absolutely guilty of looking him right in the eye to mock him with obnoxious chewing and slurping noises. So embarrassing. Funnily enough, when my children were very small, I loved the tiny sounds they made while eating. As they age, however, the sounds are becoming, for lack of a better word, irritating. I also can't stand the sound of water running out of a faucet, which is probably why I allow my husband to be in charge of the dishes. It's nice to put a name to the weirdness. Thank you. Indeed, it is nice to be able to put a name to the weirdness. And as we discussed, I, I think that's the first step, at least with with sort of normal... Uh, you know, non-clinical cases of this. That's the first step to being able to control it. Right. To be able to say, well, this is, you know, This is a, this is what's going on. This is at least some form of misophonia, perhaps.
0: This is how my brain is processing. This is how my
1: brain is processing information. And if we're aware of that, then we're in a better position to to be like, well, let's not let, let me not get that, let that get out of hand. Yeah. Let me not yell at someone.
0: Again, you get to name it and then you can control it to an extent.
1: So yeah, if you want to share anything with us, uh, feel free to contact us uh, on Facebook or Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those and we update those feeds regularly with all sorts of cool stuff.
0: And you can always drop us an email at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join House to work staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.